Hi, and welcome to the Vote Her podcast. Because when you vote, great things can happen. Hi, I'm Mara Davis, political activist, radio and TV host, and podcaster. I'm Jen Jordan, and you know what? I am someone who is just nervously waiting for the certification of this election. We all are, and it's been quite a week. You know, we try to do this podcast and stay in the moment, but it's very hard because things keep changing constantly. and We're just dealing with this audit and getting the numbers correct for Georgia, which is kind of a nutty thing because it's not like Georgia is really a tipping point for the national presidential election. It feels like it's just symbolic for the Trump team. Yeah, it, it's kind of odd because it isn't. It isn't a tipping point, right? Like Trump could have won Georgia and it wouldn't have mattered in terms of the the eventual outcome of the election. But he just seems bound and damn determined, you know, to make trouble down here. Well, uh, Brad Raffensperger, the secretary of state, literally has needed a publicist. I have never seen a secretary of state get that much media attention. He's been making the rounds. And and you know what? A lot of people have been very surprised because he's been such a, uh, a, a Trump loyalist, Republican, but yet he's doing his job. And some people are surprised about that. You know, I think that elections have been so politicized and especially by the president of the United States, that when an election official who may be a Republican or a Democrat actually just does their job in a way that's non-political, people are, their breath is just taken away. I mean, but look, he has been, you want to talk about incoming, he has been taking it, coming and going. And he has had a lot to say about some of the feedback that he is getting from the White House. I want to talk a little bit about your life off of that call because it's been inter- it's been uh, difficult, as I understand it. Uh, you and your wife have received death threats. This after you were, in fact, endorsed by President Trump. Now Republicans are piling on. Uh, one of those threats said, you better not botch this recount. Your life depends on it. That's pretty clear. Who do you blame for those text messages? Do you, do you put some blame on the president and his allies who have called your work into question? I think it's everyone that's just been spinning people up and understand that we have a lawful process in Georgia. I'm a conservative Republican, always have been. I've never voted for a Democrat. A lot of these people that are, you know, spinning up the crowd used to be Democrats. I've always been a conservative Republican, and I want to make sure we have a lawful process because I think integrity still matters. We understand that we came through a tough election in 2018. Stacey Abrams lost. She lost by 53,000 votes, and she never went away. She never admitted that she was beaten. So I think making sure that we have election integrity is very important. It's making sure that we we finish the drill, that we make sure that we count all legal votes. And at the end of the day, and that's what this audit is going to do, we're going to count every single paper ballot, and then those will be the results. And that is what the state will certify. Ravensburger has been getting death threats from his, uh, to his family, which is really, really troubling. And this is not unique just to Georgia. In Arizona, Katie Hobbs, the Secretary of State, has been harassed as well. And at least there in Arizona, the governor, Doug Ducey, has been calling it out. Okay, that's unacceptable. Completely unacceptable. And I denounce any threats of, of violence against anyone in elective office 
or any Arizonan or American. So that's different than a court challenge. Okay, a court challenge will play itself out, but it's completely unacceptable, any threats of violence. I also want you to know that uh, our office is working with uh, Secretary of State Katie Hobbs for any additional DPS resources that are necessary uh, in any way to, to protect. Jen, I have not seen any uh, standing up for Brad Raffensperger from Governor Kemp at all. No, I mean, it's been crickets, really. Now, he hasn't come out forcefully supporting Donald Trump either. So, you know, I guess small miracles. But, you know, he's the governor of the state. I mean, and the Republican Secretary of State just ran a pretty seamless election in terms of of elections for Georgia. Look, there are always issues, but you know, we had new voting machines, we had historical turnout, we're in the middle of a pandemic. And by and large, everything went okay, surprisingly. I mean, <laughs> to everyone's surprise. And now you're having the governor of the state not even support, you know, the system that A, he helped build, you know, and not support his secretary of state. And especially and you remarked on this earlier, you know, let's remind everybody, Governor Kemp used to be the Secretary of State. So shouldn't he have more things to say about this? I feel like it's been like eerily like too many crickets. You know what? They're just trying to not get that tweet, right? You know, I don't know if you saw that tweet from uh, Trump that came out last week that basically was targeting Mike DeWine in Ohio and and inviting a primary challenger um, to Governor DeWine. So that is what every elected Republican in the state fears, is that negative tweet. And the deal is, at the end of the day, Raffensperger understood that, but he still stood up and did his job. It's pretty impressive. I mean, although here we are saying, wow, isn't it impressive that someone did their job and and did the right thing? And didn't want to steal votes or invalidate (laughs) legal votes? I know. I mean, it's kind of like, you're like, well, in some ways, this guy deserves a a profile and courage. And then others, you're like, we're giving him an attaboy for not stealing the election for the president? Right. Right. But here we are. And the president keeps calling him a rhino, a Republican in name only. The president keeps tweeting, where's Brian Kemp? Which is funny. And all the jokes about Joe Biden hiding in the basement. Well, it appears that, you know, Trump, I mean, as of this time we're recording, we haven't seen him in in a couple of weeks. Uh, Maybe he'll come out of the basement. I mean, I'm not I don't know why people aren't making me come out of the basement jokes, but come out of the closet. Well, maybe it'll be like Groundhog Day, you know. If he sees his shadow, we've got, you know, two more months of uh, election challenges. Oh, okay. And and, and in the, these polls say that one poll I just read is that 70% of Republicans don't believe the election was free and fair. That blows my mind. But it doesn't. Look, but but you also have to kind of step back and say, who are the people that are self-identifying as Republicans? A lot of people in this country don't believe they're partisan and don't say I'm a Democrat or I'm a Republican. So you got to kind of wonder there. My guess is, is that number really is 70 percent of Trump voters. 
because they listen and believe anything and everything he says, unfortunately. Well, we have to talk about the Georgia runoff and what this all means for that. And now the early voting is starting very soon. But uh, we've got all these ads and everybody out in the press trying to do stuff. And I do want to mention Senator Kelly Leffler, uh, the appointed senator, went on Fox News and, um, of course, you know, went on to promote herself and be interviewed. But she also solicited donations. Listen to this. Well, look, we know that hundreds of millions of dark liberal money is pouring into our state. That's why it's so important that everyone across the country get involved. They can visit kellyforsenate.com to chip in five or ten bucks and get involved, volunteer. So now there are ethics complaints left and right about this uh, for soliciting donations. I mean, is this going to go anywhere, Jen? Look, it it is a probably one of the most straightforward in terms of ethics violations that you you can actually have. So we'll see if it goes anywhere. But at the end of the day, it just really shows that she has a lack of understanding of her role in the law. And it was really just amateur hour. So these lawsuits are being filed by the Democratic Party of Georgia and the American Democracy Legal Fund, FYI. So we'll take a look at that. She's also been running an ad campaign about her opponent, uh, Reverend Warnock, with these sermons out of context. Now, if you listen regularly, we talked about Reverend Warnock's alignment with uh, Jeremiah Wright, who has been a target with Obama, who's sort of an extremist preacher, has some extreme views, and they, you know, kind of cherry picked these sermons. And now she's going ahead and cherry picking more of Warnock's sermons and using it for his spots. America, nobody can serve God and the military. You can't serve God and money. You cannot serve God and mammon at the same time. America, choose ye this day whom you will serve. This day. Now, what do you think this is all about? Look, he's a preacher. He was preaching. I mean, he was talking about a specific Bible verse that anyone who comes from or attended a Protestant church in this state has heard before. Um, you know, I mean, I know I have. And so the deal is this. I have a feeling that we're going to be hearing a lot from the Bible in the next couple of months. And just like anything else, you can you can take the words from the Bible and they can you can, you know, stretch them or or interpret them in any way you want to. I don't know if it's necessarily the best tactic for her. Marco Rubio tweeted out, uh, not shocked, Georgia Democrat Senate candidate Warnock said, "You cannot serve God and the military at the same time. These and either even crazier things is why the radicals who control the the Democratic Party's activists and small-dollar donor base believe. Which is nutty, right? Because, look, this is is the deal. Nothing he said is is true. Um, But with respect to Marco Rubio, I mean, he is, he's, He's like tweeting out Bible verses every other day. I mean, he's the one who has kind of repeated some of this stuff before. This comes straight from the Bible with respect to the, the you know, 
whatever he was preaching. I mean, I just really don't think it's necessary. Like I said, it's not the best strategy just to reinforce the idea that you have a pastor, a Baptist (laughs) preacher on the ticket who knows the Bible, who's quoting the Bible, and who then you're taking the clips and saying, well, this indicates that he's crazy. No, it indicates that he's a Baptist preacher. I love our friend Carla Jacobs. Uh, who has been a guest on this show. She's kind of a, a former Republican that crossed over and you can follow her on Twitter at Carla L. Jacobs. And she basically uh, had a great tweet about it that said, this is a standard Protestant take on Matthew 624 and Marco Rubio knows this. So does Doug Collins. They all know this. I mean, they've preached it. If you're Doug, right? Right. It's it's really just trying to kind of, like you said, just cherry pick. Yeah. Okay. And that's why I love talking about this because I don't know anything, you know. I'm like, you know, I don't I don't know Bible things and I like learning. So thank you for educating me on this because I, my takeaway when I see something like that, Jen, is if I'm watching a comedy bit and someone's doing a lead up to the punchline at the end, that's going to take two minutes, five minutes until you get to the context of what the main joke is. So how can I take away that you can't serve God or the military from a tweet that's 28 seconds? You can't. You can't. And not only that, but that was the whole point. The whole point is for you just to take this very small portion and then they kind of misconstrue it or put or or take it out of context one way or the other. Look, we're going to be it is going to be like Bible drill for the next (laughs) couple of months. I mean, there are going to be so many quotes, so many little clips from from various you know, um, sermons that Reverend Warnock is getting. So in some ways, we're all going to be getting a little more religion. But man, y'all better hold on. Uh, Well, and I get a kick out of this because every Sunday I notice this, Kelly Leffler tweets out a Bible verse. I mean, her social team does. There's always a Bible verse on Sundays, every Sunday. I've also noticed from her Twitter account, there's two of them. There's Kay Leffler and then there's Senator Kelly Leffler. And they both used to be like all kinds of crazy. And now the Senator one has toned itself down. And the Kelly Leffler one is more the Breitbart, um, you know, propaganda right, machine. Like kind of the Q crazy stuff. Right. Um, and, you know, Revan Warnock, to his credit, is absolutely addressing every single one of these allegations. He's getting out in front of it. But I will give Leffler credit. She's going to debate him. She agreed to that debate on December 6th. And I am so excited to watch that. I just, I have to tell you. And my guess is that Reverend Warnock is going to break out a little bit more biblical learning on her. Uh, He better be prepping. Because my critique of him is I did see him on Jig Tapper. And I felt he, he and, and look, to be fair, it is nerve wracking, especially when you go on one of those talk shows because you're in a little satellite studio and you're by yourself. And it is, and that's one thing that people need to realize. You're like literally like in this black hole with the green screen behind you. And, and you're like talking to yourself. It's super weird. <laughs> so he did not knock it out of the park on Tapper. He was seen to, you know, and Tapper asked some tough questions, but 
to debate like that, he's going to really have to be prepped. I hope he's prepping hard because it's not going to look. She has her talking points and she stays on message. But, you know, she's no shrinking violet. Look, she's been practicing this for months. Right. I mean, you know, how many times can you say radical socialist agenda, you know, backwards and forwards? But, you know. At the end of the day, what I think people really want to see is kind of a little bit of authenticity from both of them. And authenticity doesn't require that you be perfect. It just requires you to be real. People want to know who these folks are. And that's always been the knock on her is that no one really seems to know who she is because it just doesn't feel real. So we'll see where Reverend Warnock goes with that. I mean, he feels real to me. But then again, you know, look, I'm biased here. Um, speaking of radical socialism, uh, it's like I feel like we should have a bell <laughs> every time they say it because that's just all they say. Uh, so, so let's just clear. Let's just clear it out for everybody. It is false. It is false. It is false. Nothing that they're saying is correct or true. They're trying to use labels to make people scared of their opponent, of what's going to happen. I mean, you know, John Ossoff, he's in one commercial saying, you know, if we win, we're going to change America. That sounds like a pretty positive thing to me. But then they put this scary music in the background and make them all dark. And it's like, he's going to change America. It's like, when did the message of hope and change become so damn scary? Hospitals in crisis, families struggling to make ends meet. It's not coronavirus. It's John Ossoff's agenda for Georgia. Ossoff wants government-run health care, which could force as many as 43 Georgia hospitals to close, limiting access to doctors when families need them most. And Ossoff's plan could raise taxes on Georgia workers over $2,000 a year. Fewer hospitals, more taxes. We can't afford John Ossoff and his agenda for Georgia. Senate Leadership Fund is responsible for the content of this advertising. It's it's that darn radical socialism, Jen. Which is not true. It's Uh, false. So let's take a listen to Senator Perdue. Uh, Senator Perdue, and you pointed out, rightly so, uh, last week, that Perdue's really not going to debate. Uh, Purdue Chicken. He is not going to do any interviews in any outlet but Fox News or uh, with uh, Governor Mike Huckabee, former Governor Mike Huckabee, which he did something with him on his show. But all he talks about are his greatest hits. You want to know what they are? You want to guess? Oh, go ahead and tell me. Uh, well, Well, let's listen. Well, Kelly Leffler and I um, are the Republican candidates for these two seats. And as I said before, the majority of the Senate comes down to these two seats. It's our job to make sure uh, that the people of Georgia know just what's at stake. Look, we know what the Democrats want to do. You just highlighted most of it, but they want illegal immigrants to vote. They want to defund the police. They want to take away our private health insurance and they want to stack the court. That's not what our uh, government has always been about. It's been about checks and balances. And what Schumer said the other day, he said, we win Georgia, we change America. AOC said, look, we're all about, uh, we want to win those two seats because we do not want to negotiate. She wants the Green New Deal without compromise. And so uh, we've got to make sure the people of Georgia turn out again. If we do, we win. We've already beaten the Democrats. 52.5%, Sean, of Georgia voters rejected this liberal uh, left move that the Democrats are trying to perpetrate. 
And I think that's a big sign that nobody's talking about. You can't have a party without AOC and the Green New Deal and the illegal immigrants. (laughs) My whole thing is, for me personally, what I want to hear from people running for office are their ideas, what their vision is. And all I hear from the Republican Party is this just painting the other side in a negative light. And that's, and that's being kind. But, you know, I think, or at least I hope, people are sick and tired of that. I mean, you know, we're dealing with this pandemic. We're dealing with an economy that's struggling. And I want somebody to come in and govern, for God's sakes. I got a question for you, Jen, from one of my friends, Courtney Wagner. And I hope she doesn't mind saying this, but she's actually sick with COVID right now. And uh, so she had has had a lot of time on her hands to listen. And what's crazy about Courtney's situation is that, you know, she's really played it safe in this whole COVID world. She hasn't done anything. I mean, we had lunch together two weeks before she found out she got sick. But that, that was like the only time she went out besides going to the grocery store. Uh, she wants to know if there's some sort of emergency executive order that Biden can pass for a mandate mask mandate for each state. Uh, It seems like in a situation where you have Republican governors who are not doing all they should be doing to keep people safe, could the president override that because it's for the greater good of the country? Probably from a legal perspective, he could. The, The question really is, especially after coming off a major I mean, just a major knockdown drag out in terms of the election challenge and people not thinking or at least President Trump trying to make people think that that Biden is not the legitimate president. Right. you got to be really careful about being able to actually enforce something. And I think that that you don't want to go too far. I think you want to to make it as easy as possible for people and and encourage them to do it. And, you know, what's happened before when the federal government has wanted states to do various things, they've promised more funding, right? So it's kind of like, well, if you do this, we know that you're serious. So like seatbelts or um, whatever it is, if you have a seatbelt law, then then and you pass that, then we will give you more road funding. Got right? it. Got so it. it's kind of more of a carrot rather than a stick approach. So but, you know, you're seeing a lot of these Republican governors change their mind a little bit. Some of them are uh, not Christy Nome. I mean, that's South Dakota. Man, those numbers. Y'all, everybody should be praying for the people of this country, but definitely for the people of North and South Dakota. For sure. By the way, I like that as a new segment for the show, and we can call it just Ask Jen. (laughs) Okay. Well, we have got a great guest coming up while we talk about elections and election integrity. We really have the perfect person to chime in on this. Y'all, we are so psyched to have my friend, fellow lawyer, and the former Democratic uh, candidate for governor, Jason Carter, with us today. And of course, y'all may know him also as the grandson of former President Jimmy Carter and Miss Roslyn. So welcome. We're so excited to have you here. Hi, Jason. Thank you. Yeah, we're so psyched to have you. Thanks for being here. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited. I love what y'all are doing. So, 
What did you think about the turnout in terms of Georgia? There's been a lot of discussion and people musing one way or the other. Were you surprised by it or? Um, I, would, I don't think so. I mean, I think we knew it was going to be a lot of people, you know, and I think we're in a position these days in Georgia where if one side is going to turn out a lot, um, then so is the other side. And that's what I think we saw is you had a bunch of, uh, a bunch of people getting engaged in the system. And I think that that's always, you know, uh, a good thing. You're very involved in election integrity with the Carter Center, which, by the way, awesome farmer's market every Saturday. I'm there every week. <laughs> me but, too, me too. <laughs> oh, well, I'll have to look for you on Saturday. Can you talk a little bit about your partnership with Cindy McCain? Because I think that was an unlikely but likely alliance this year as far as kind of doing the right thing for elections and how you all got together. Sure. So the, the Carter Center, as you know, has been, you know, working on election integrity. Uh, you know, we've observed 110 elections around the world um, over the last uh, you know, 25 or 30 years. And so we have a lot of, of just actual knowledge and, and, and credibility internationally. And we got together at some point with a group of, of Republicans, you know, for an off the record conversation about sort of the state of American democracy. And the McCain Center and others, including some other former presidential centers, were involved. And, and we, we had a, a conversation about the concerns that different people had about the American election as it was coming up. And so one of the things that happened then is that uh, Cindy McCain and, and others, frankly, wanted to figure out how we could have bipartisan or nonpartisan discussions in advance of the election to help people understand that you know, we all have an obligation to, to respect the system and to not denigrate the system and to, of course, ensure that the system is, is fair and, and correct. Um, but if it is, to make sure that we're maintaining our respect for it. And so Cindy McCain and I wrote a, a hopefully prescient uh, piece in The Economist together about American election integrity and, and how important it is to protect the process. Because once you start attacking the actual process and running down that particular institution, as the Carter Center has seen in many, many other places around the world, it's really hard to build that credibility back for your election. Yeah. So that was the thing that kind of threw me, um, understanding the work that the Carter Center has done globally through the years. I mean, when I saw observers from the Carter Center, like in Clayton County, like, um, you know, observing the recount, it's not really a recount, but the hand count for the you know, for the audit, it was a little disconcerting to think that that we were at at that point. Well, you know, the Carter Center has never observed an American election ever until now. And the and the only place that we did it was in Georgia um, and frankly, at the request of the Georgia Secretary of State. And so, you know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot uh, going on in the United States. And we knew we were going to sort of pay attention to what was happening here, but we didn't know we were actually going to be observing. Um, but, but we decided that it made sense. And, you know, we had, we mobilized about, you know, a, a couple hundred people to get out there. And, um, you know, these are weird times in the United States. They really are. And we knew that as a global human rights organization, we couldn't not get engaged when there were important issues in our own backyard. And so talking about the Secretary of State, the thing that surprised me, because he's a Republican, he's a, you know, we all know that. I mean, he supported President Trump when he ran, and 
you know, kind of the attacks that he has been withstanding from his own party. I've been kind of surprised by it. I guess maybe I shouldn't be, but it, but it really kind of sets up an odd, you know, like what do you? I mean, Republicans ran the election, and now Republicans are saying that it's that it's no good. So I don't know. What do you think about that, Jason? Well, I, I here's what I think. I, I think the most important thing in any of these discussions is to have it be based on actual facts and evidence, right? Yes. I'm not just saying that because I'm a lawyer and I know you are. Then the bottom line is, if something that happened bad, like we should figure that out and we should deal with it. Totally. If nothing happened then we got to acknowledge that nothing happened. So 38 countries, you've overseen elections. Have you ever seen anything like this where there's legalities and uh, people not believing it? And and it just says the, the, the misinformation, disinformation campaign that's going on. I think that the misinformation is, is getting really common, frankly. I think that you know, every election, even, you know, when we were in Liberia uh, just a few years ago, um, where you have, you know, virtually no communications infrastructure, a very limited, you know, no television stations, for example, um, you still had, you know, people on Facebook hearing about ballots being found in rivers, you know what I mean, when it wasn't true. Uh, and so there is or where, where there was at least no evidence of it. And so, you know, those those types of things are actually super common. The problem that that we see now is that we've got people, people talking about it and, and, and in this country, you know, really failing to curate uh, both the information and the public statements about the election process. And so we have to, again, protect our process. It's just so important that we're going to base any criticisms on fact, because part of it is if you cry wolf in, in, in occasions like this, and then something bad really does happen, um, you know, then, then what? I mean, that th- there's a lot of credibility issues that sort of abound in this kind of context. Don't you think it's it's kind of interesting to me that they're attacking Republicans are attacking the basically the election and the results when they need the voters to get back out, you know, for the runoff election? I mean, if you delegitimize or make people think that their vote's not going to count, I think it would impact whether or not they want to come back out to vote. You know, I, I think that's true, Jim, but I'll say this. I mean, I think Democrats have done that for a long time, too. I mean, we've attacked the system in the past in different ways that and, and I think that's probably been a mistake uh, because, to your point, you know, people people want to believe that these things that these things matter. You know, people want to believe that if you vote, it, it, it counts. And all of us rely on that uh, in order to in order to, to participate in the system. Right. And so anytime you're running it down, it's a uh, it's a real problem. So what would you suggest, like going forward in terms of what you've witnessed and then even the experience, you know, coming from the Carter Center in terms of elections globally? Um, what can the state of Georgia do? You know, what can we all do to try to, to do better next time? And, and just from any perspective, you know. So the key for the key for the Carter Center in every election that we've ever observed is to make sure that you get buy-in in advance, right? So that we're a long-term part of the process. You know, once this election process begins, you know, starting now for next time, we build trust in the system. Hey, if you think there's issues with mail-in balloting, let's take a look at them. Hey, if you think there's issues in these other contexts, let's take a look at them, you know? And, and, and so that you're building the, 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 uh, the credibility of the process before you get an outcome, right? Because to your point, now, the only people who are crying foul are ones of law. 
And, you know, that's always the case. And so the, the key for us is what do we do in advance of the next election to ensure that we've got the kind of credibility that we need? Now, that's easy to say. And one of the ways that I would think that we could do that is to to have, you know, you know Donald Trump's handpicked person be the governor of the state that he's complaining about. You know, so, I mean, sometimes people are going to lose the election and sometimes they're going to they're going to cry foul no matter what. Um, but but really, the best thing to do for regular people is to, to tackle some of these issues um, in advance as part of a, of a broader process. Yeah, I've been disappointed. I mean, it's something that I've known for a while that we need to focus on kind of more broadly. Um, but it really kind of, you know, has been exposed a little bit more is that there's a real lack of civic literacy in, in this country and into this state. I mean, the whole the whole idea about the, the signature match thing, it's like folks don't understand the process, right? They don't understand that we have ballot secrecy required by the Georgia Constitution here. So there's no way, that's the whole point. You, you shouldn't be able um, to trace a ballot back to an individual once it's counted. Um, you do that on the front end. And so... You know, that that's been really kind of concerning that that folks are just listening and taking in this disinformation and then just regurgitating it without without even trying to do their own fact check. You know, Jen, I think that's a really good point. And this is something, frankly, that you and me can work on along with everybody else as we go forward. There's going to be a real push from both Republicans and Democrats uh, for some new civic education in the country, right? We've really fallen down on, you know, high school um, even, uh, and, and, and those kinds of, of, you know, citizenship training courses that used to be a big part of our education system. And I think you're gonna see a push from both sides of the aisle just to make the, the, the public discourse, you know, as we enter the, the public square to have these discussions, you know, there's a set of ground rules that we all agree on. Some of those are associated with the voting process. But some of them are also just associated with how we're going to handle ourselves as we have these discussions. You know, facts matter, things like that, that, that really, really lost. And I, I think that that's going to be something that we can really um, we can really all work on um, from an education standpoint and otherwise. Well, would you agree or do you feel like there there's been no election a presidential election that's gone down like this. I mean, I feel like we're in crazy upside down worlds. I mean, yeah, I, you know, I, I've been, you know, you follow Michael Beschloss on Twitter and, you know, maybe the McKinley election in the 1840s was pretty <laughs> wild, apparently. Um, but no, I, I mean, you know, I think we all remember the 2000 election. I mean, I, yes. I was in Florida on the morning of the 2000 election because we've been doing get out the vote in, in Broward County. I went to bed, you know, flew back to Atlanta. I voted. And then I went to sleep thinking Al Gore had won and I woke up and then, you know, it was a mess. Right. And, and we're still not even uh, close to the, the territory where it has taken that long um, to resolve some of these legal challenges. I mean, we're in upside down territory because of the way the president of the United States is talking. Um, but I don't think we're really in danger of, of, of anything truly crazy happening, right? I mean, I still believe what, what Cindy McCain and I wrote in that article in The Economist, which is that anybody who tries to usurp the outcome of a credible election uh, is going to be met with resistance from, in essence, all, all corners of the government and, and all corners of, of our system. Now, whether that means the Republican senators and congressmen sort of grow a spine and, and, and start to, to talk different about Donald Trump, I think they will. You know, I think it might take a minute, but but I, I think we're going to we're, we're fast on the path to putting this behind us uh, and having it be credible, uh, certainly effective 
Um, and, and for people who believe it lacks credibility, having no evidence to support their claim. Well, Jason, thank you so much. We're going to be watching you and uh, seeing what you do in the future. And thank you so much for the work the Carter Center does. And, uh, you know, the next few uh, weeks should be kind of fun here in Georgia, politically. <laughs> it won't be dull. Look, I'm, I mean, I'm glad you like this stuff, Jen, because you're in the middle of it. But I, I'm excited for you. I'm going to be watching you. And, uh, you know, maybe I'll get to come on the show again. Yeah, we'd love to have you. Oh, absolutely. We would. Listen, you can find Jason on Twitter at Senator Carter and follow the Carter Center. uh, And I'll look for you at the farmer's market every Saturday. Uh, The eggs are great. Done, Mira. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, guys. Well, that was great to talk to Jason Carter. He's he's really one of my favorite people. Uh, What you didn't know was that he was calling us from Walmart. Yeah. (laughs) The beeping in the background was a little bit much in the beginning, but, you know, he's he's really just a good person. He's a great lawyer, and I hope he, he jumps back into to service. I mean, he was a former state senator. State senators, they're just like us. Yes, they are. So you could be seeing, you know, watch out, Chastain Publix. <laughs> state senator, <laughs> coming at you. Yeah, that's right. Um, so... Look, there's been a lot of Georgia news and a lot of good news this week, and that is the announcement of a couple of vaccines, the Moderna vaccine, the Pfizer vaccine, the fact that the FDA uh, has approved an at-home COVID test. This is all really exciting stuff. No, look, I don't think I realized the stress that I was under and that all of us were under. I saw Fauci discussing the Moderna Um, vaccine. And he indicated that he thought that that some doses would be able to go out by the end of the year for some of our frontline workers and and more vulnerable folks in the country. And like, I just I just broke down crying because I was like, finally, right. There's like hope. It gave me hope in the sense where I could say to my son, you're going to get to go to school in the fall. I'm a little wary about the spring. I, I seeing, you know, now the CDC is saying don't travel for Thanksgiving, you know, so so but I at least I feel like there's hope and there's light at the end of the tunnel. And, you know, we're- well, and a lot of it's going to depend on. And this is also why the friggin president needs to concede the transition team, the Biden administration. They need to get in there. They need to get their plans in place with respect to how they're going to get the vaccine out there. The quicker we can get it made, the quicker that we can get it distributed, the quicker that we can get back to some semblance of normal life. For sure. Uh, I want to take a minute to talk about Dolly Parton. I mean, I would like to take hours to talk about Dolly Parton at all times, but she donated a million dollars to Vanderbilt for research. And this was early on in the pandemic. I remember it well. And that research, that grant that she gave was part of creating that vaccine. And you got to listen to this because when she was asked about it on Hoda and Jenna on NBC, she was kind of like, well, just listen. Dolly, before we get to all your projects and we can't wait to talk to you about the good share you're, you're spreading, I was looking on Twitter and you are trending again. And this time they're like, Dolly, it's not that she couldn't do enough. So now she's actually helping to cure the coronavirus <laughs> uh, because one of your donations helped out Moderna. And now Moderna is knocking on the door of a vaccine. 
Well, that's what I heard. I only heard that this morning on my way over here. And I thought, well, praise the Lord that I'm just so happy that anything that I've done could help in any way. Back when we started the the fund, I was just hoping that we might find some, some cures or whatever. But now it looks like it might be happening. And I'm just very grateful uh, that this is happening. If I had anything to do with it, then that's great. Dolly, we've decided to call um, the United States of America the Dolly States of America <laughs> yeah. because it doesn't matter where you're from, <laughs> yes. who you vote for. Yes. Everybody loves you and you really can bring people together. Mm-hmm. Well, I always make my joke. I'm not a Republican or a Democrat. I'm a hypocrite. And I kind of feel like I kind of am. I'm hopefully not a hypocrite, but I just love people. And I just kind of see into everybody's heart and soul. And I try to stay out of other people's business. I don't argue about religion and politics. I try to steer clear of that and just do what good I can in my own little world, doing it the best way I know how. I mean, Dolly is the greatest. I mean, I want to cry. That makes me want to cry, Jen. Look, she's awesome. She's the best. She always has been, always will be. And of course, Dolly Parton actually has come to save us. Well, that kind of came together with Dr. Abumrad. And I learned about him by listening to the magical, required listening of Dolly Parton's America. And this was her longtime doctor. She had gotten in a car accident. They, she had another issue. They didn't really kind of specify what that was, but she developed a relationship with this doctor based on how he grew up in Lebanon. She grew up in the Smoky Mountains, but yet they had this eerily similar background of growing up in poverty, but a good family in the mountains. And they just had this unusual bond. And it was because of him, she believed in faith and science. And so it's really, I mean, it's truly remarkable. Do you listen to that podcast? I don't, but I love Dolly Parton. And I think that she is probably overlooked as being a feminist icon. Really, she is one of the first people who just said, you know, screw it, right? In terms of she was who she was. And that is a powerful thing. I mean, you may not have agreed with the look or what she did or how she did it, but it was who she was. And she controlled the narrative. And it is incredibly powerful, especially now looking back. Well, that's why for you to take a break from politics and and everything that you've got going on, Jen, you really, and you listening, take the time to listen to it because exactly what you said, as far as her being a feminist, even though she'll never say it, she doesn't have to because it's in her lyrics and in her actions. And they do such a great job. NPR and WNYC, they do just such a marvel. It's, it really is something special. So highly recommend that. Thanksgiving's coming up. What are you thankful for this year, Jen? Oh my God. I really am thankful and I cannot get out of my mind cornbread dressing. Um, I know that sounds a little bizarre, but it's my mother's recipe, my grandmother's recipe, and it's the only time I eat it is on Thanksgiving. And I I'm dying. Are you going to make it? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. yeah. Big, Dressing. big bats of it. it it's funny because I even though I grew up in South Florida, which is basically the north, and, you know, we never called it dressing. We call it stuffing. Well, because you stuff it in the, the turkey. We yes. don't stuff anything in our turkey. I mean, come on. Well, I'm thankful for Ina Garten. Well, I'm thankful for her, too. And I just will spend Thanksgiving Day watching reruns of her her new book, 
modern comfort food. I, I, this isn't even a plug. I just bought it. She literally, she can just sing me to sleep. I mean, Ina Garten's perfect. You know what? We're all Jeffrey, right? <laughs> well, uh, one program note. I don't want to jinx it, but we do. Don't have, jinx it. At, at, we got a good guest coming up. So just follow our Twitters at Senator Jen, at Mara Davis, at Podcast Vote. Please send us your feedback to vote her podcast at gmail.com. Because this is, you know, we needed one, we need one guest that to, and, and we may get it. We might. <laughs> I'm feeling pretty good about it. Thanks to our producer and editor, Christina Large, our Terminus Records for our music, Terry White, who does our art. And by the way, since you're subscribed, can you give us a rating and a comment uh, so you can help other listeners and tell us uh, why you love us and tell other people why they should listen to this show? And let's not forget, early voting starts soon. So what do we do? Vote. Get your ballot. Happy Thanksgiving, y'all. Talk to you next time. 